Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Overlane Podcast. Today's episode starts with me asking you to use your imagination a little bit. In particular, just envision for a second that you are inside an airplane that looks like a 1920s Art Deco Manhattan apartment, complete with the decor and style of the Roaring Twenties. Or what about replacing passenger seats with a Japanese tatami? Or having a super-sized panoramic window on one side of the cabin? These are some of the outlandish ideas that have been put forward by our guest today. Because Jay Weaver is the VP of Interior Design at Embraer Executive Jets. His job is basically to define the concepts and the lines that will be built into the next generation of executive jets. Just as a top fashion designer would set the trends for next season, Jay helped set the trends in aircraft design. Prior to moving into aviation and to Florida's Space Coast, where Embraer Executive Jets is located, Jay had a successful career as a car designer in California, where he worked alongside some of the most visionary minds in the automotive industry. I am sure this background will come in very handy at a time when the aviation industry is on the cusp of major changes, with the advent of numerous personal air mobility concepts that are essentially like flying cars. We are going to talk with Jay about this as well as about many other aspects of aircraft design. So without further ado, let me welcome Jay to the podcast. So hello, Jay. How are you? Good. How are you? Thank you for uh, taking the time today to have a conversation about aerospace design and some of the cool stuff that uh, is happening. So we're excited. Yes. I remember very well when we met at an event was a, a flight, a demonstration flight between Le Bourget near Paris and Geneva, just ahead of Ives. And mm-hmm. we flew an Embraer Lineage 1000E with a small group of people. And you showed us some very interesting designs, some amazing designs, I must say, that we're going to speak about this later for cabin jet interiors. But first of all, let me ask you to introduce yourself briefly so that our audience can uh, learn a bit more about you and and the work you do at the Embraer Design Ops. Okay. Um, My name, uh, je m'appelle Jay Beaver, (laughs) or Jay Beaver in English. Um, I'm the vice president of design operations for Embraer Executive Jets. So my responsibilities are twofold. We have an industrial design team that works on future concepts for the engineered piece of the canvases that we later touch and feel in the airplane, usually multiple, multiple years of development. And then the other half is the customer center design team where our concierge designers will sit with customers and help them configure and trim and design and tailor uh, their airplane interior two under one roof which allows us a lot of opportunity for immediate feedback and modifications if necessary even into the future pipeline so that's kind of how we're uh, constructed at Embraer and before that you work at the automotive industry right for Ford for the Ford Motor Company yes yep I spent um, 15 years at Ford Uh, I started off in the Dearborn Michigan location as a CAD uh, draftsman, uh, design engineer, and eventually ended up in the design studios there working on uh, Lincoln automobiles and Ford uh, rear-wheel drive vehicles, which would include the Mustang and the Thunderbird and vehicles like that. Uh, at which point in 2002, transferred out to California, worked in their advanced design studios where I had the chance to work with legendary car designers like Henrik Fisker and um, Freeman Thomas, Jerry McGovern, um, Merrick Reichman, uh, who's currently head of Aston Martin Design, and all those individuals, David Woodhouse, head of Nissan Design. Uh, These were all colleagues of mine that I worked for in California, working on the various premier automotive group vehicles from Lincoln, Jaguar, Aston Martin, Land Rover, um, and Volvo. And uh, Peter Horbury is another individual who heads uh, the Volvo division still for the company in China that bought Volvo. I had an incredible experience there in California working for a lot of individuals who are now running the design world in a, 
and automotive and all the different leaving automotive was was a uh, was sad at the, at the time because i really loved it but getting into aerospace in 2007 uh, was a a clear opportunity because uh, there's so much that this industry could use from the automotive in that sense of craftsmanship execution build tooling the manufacturing processes that would be applicable things like that so it's been quite a journey yeah actually you know i, I mentioned the, your previous experience with car design because I think we are right now at a time when the, uh, let's say, the, the car industry and the aerospace industry are converging in some ways. I had a chance to write an article for, for CNN recently that it was about the advent of the flying car. It was all about all these new concepts for personal mobility, personal air mm -hmm. mobility that are mm -hmm. growing heavily from, from, the, uh, from the wall of automotive. And we, this is something we can, we can, if you want, we can talk about later, uh, because you also at Embraer, you, you have come up with some very futuristic designs that mm -hmm. go in this line, right? Like the recent Embraer Pulse concept. Yes. It's, it's essentially, it's, it's a bit like a flying car in a way. Um, yeah. yep. And also the electrification and, and how the automotive industry is uh, moving in this direction. And, and uh, many people in aerospace are now working as well in um, electrification uh, not mm -hmm. everyone is um, as optimistic as uh, some uh, industry sources i had a, a podcast recently with uh, with uh, someone that told me that well electrification for some uses yes for some other uses maybe it's still some way off but anyway that's something we we can touch later when we talk about the concept you design at embraer mm -hmm. so basically you are working for embraer that is a is a brazilian company but you are based in the us right because um embraer executive jets it's it's got its operations in in florida right yes that's correct uh, embraer has been in uh, florida in the united states for a long time due to the commercial aircraft activities and we have our facilities in fort lauderdale the fort lauderdale hollywood airport but in more recent time within over the last you know, 10 years, we've had our executive jet headquarters um, in uh, Melbourne, Florida, the Space Coast. And that has been strategic, but quite a coup as well because of its location in Florida um, between Orlando and Fort Lauderdale being a nice destination for customers, but That's really near, having... You know, near NASA, right? It's, it's near That's the right. Cape Kennedy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's it, and what what a, what a neat place to be with the spaceport planet Earth, Cape Canaveral, you know, Florida, Space Coast, and we're right there. And we we're able to capitalize on getting a lot of employees from the the shuttle missions when the shuttle missions ramped down. Uh, we came in at the same time and we're able to pull in a lot of employees from us. So we had a really highly skilled technical employee base very quickly. Um, so it's it's been a wonderful location for us. And one that now it's seeing um, a lot of new activity uh, once more with all the new laws oh, yeah. you've seen now. <laughs> yeah, it, it's uh, they've done the the, the governance and the uh, those who are inspiring companies to come here, uh, the EDC and uh, those responsible for giving incentives have done a great job because the amount of companies that are moving in to Melbourne and to the east coast of Florida is tremendous. It's really an economic boom and um, everybody's having a lot of fun. Basically, you are producing designs, not just for like, let's say the more conventional cabins, but you also have a very interesting line of um, design, which is more conceptual, uh, mm -hmm. which is the, the one I was referring to earlier. So you have a whole range of ideas that basically what, what you do is you, you come up with a theme or, or, or a topic and, and you completely turn the cabin of the of the executive aircraft into that theme so you for just to give you to give an idea uh, of what this means to to our audience it's like you have a, a, a japanese theme aircraft where inside it basically it looks like a typical uh, traditional japanese setting where people can sit on the ground and have very minimal lines very very clean very simple this sort of aesthetic then you have another one which is art deco and you have all the design elements evoke the 1920s America. For example, I'm, I'm going to post some pictures of this so that our audience can check it out in the, in the podcast website. But can you explain us a little bit, what's the, what's the idea behind these sort of very outlandish designs? And what's the, what's the thought process 
behind them. Oh, I'm glad you asked. I'm especially happy that you appreciate um, those things that have been done. The thought process is that of conceptual design to inspire. Uh, sometimes, you know, for instance, when, when the iPhone came out, many of us didn't realize we needed a phone that had no buttons. And ma many advisory boards may have told the phone companies, put bigger buttons on so I can use my gloves and things like that. So the point of that is companies, OEMs like Embraer, uh, what, like Apple and what they've done, is develop new features that customers haven't asked for, but challenge the imagination, challenge the status quo and what we think of as normal to create a new normal. So if, if we wait for a customer, which does happen, come, to come in and say, I'd like a real exotic looking interior and let's work on this project, um, we'll finish the project. That project is very personal to the owner and we don't show uh, that interior because it belongs to the customer, the individual who bought the plane and designed it, it's theirs. So there's not much to really show the world as far as inspiration for what the future could look like or inspiration for what, what capabilities we have. So as a company, it, it does us well to come up with concepts on our own to show what could be and create dramatic subjective opinions, pro and con, and, and it's all good because now we have people debating something that they never knew was there previously. Mm -hmm. So the philosophy is, is that of, you know, gaining and engaging customer interest based off of the marketed or guerrilla marketing advisory committee that they, that people don't really realize they're in because we will respond to those comments and then people become interested in our airplanes because of it. So really it's, it's, it's similar uh, to, what I was you know, raised with at Ford in the concept car design studios in California is building concept vehicles that will not be built exactly the way they look because in production, things have to change, but they inspire uh, and drive a DNA or a look for the future. And, and, and individuals will look at this concept vehicle and say, I wonder if the grill, or I wonder if those door handles, or the features, the body lines are going to be, what's coming in years you know to come yeah so actually, it's that tool yeah that's why we was well, thinking fashion, fashion industry as well you have mm -hmm. all the the fashion shows all the runway uh all the all the uh, designs that are shown in the runway and uh then very few of these actually end up being used on, on a on a day-to-day -day basis but they, they serve as a sort of a blueprint for for other mm -hmm. ideas that will will become more widely adopted. Um, exactly. In particular, I was I was very impressed by one of the concepts, which was actually having a window that runs all along the, the wall of, of the of the side of the aircraft. So you actually have a panoramic um, a panoramic uh, wall where you can you you can you can see what's outside. And mm -hmm. and I was even more impressed when I learned that that's actually feasible with uh, mm -hmm. current technology and current regulations. Um, what is that, uh, what, what happened to that concept? Uh, is it still something that might happen in the future? Yeah, the actual panoramic, physical, analog, real, not synthesized, panoramic window, I believe was a Fokker Systems um, technology that BBJ, uh, launched a few years ago and showed in a concept in an office space inside of a BBJ, which was stunning. Um, the window obviously requires cutting through fuselage frames mm -hmm. and reinforcements. So uh, in order to you know, keep the window structurally in place. So it's really a marvel of technology. And that window was um, inspirational in many ways. Uh, for the Embraer piece of the, that equation of immersing yourself into nature rather than hiding yourself from it and trying to protect yourself from it. We, um, we, we basically did the opposite in a sense. We pursued a vertical portrait view window and the, the benefit of the portrait view window vertically is, um, a, you know, a top down and up view of the earth and the sky you're flying in. But structurally it's uh, much easier to execute and therefore more available to customers. 
because the price point what's is a pretty good. So portrait yeah. view window. What what's what's that exactly? So in the Kyoto airship that you were referring to, the Japanese uh, tailored theme, and on the Sky Ranch concept for the lineage, we put the vertical window in. So basically, it's the size of a Type Three emergency exit. So a door-sized emergency exit you might see inside of a commercial airplane. Mm-hmm. And we know those work, and they're in airplanes all over the place, so structurally safe and, and easy to execute. But if you fill that emergency exit door size hole with glass, yeah. composite glass, you have an incredible window. So portrait as an up-and-down landscape or you know panoramic being side-to-side. So this up-and-down portrait view window uh, was achieved because we had, we had put plans and uh, engineering together to execute an observer window for a Coast Guard delivered ERJ. So one of our commercial ERJ aircraft, the Coast Guard could use that window as they circle the ocean looking, uh, doing search and rescue, they can look down. Those drawings, that engineering work fit beautifully onto the lineage as long as we stayed forward of the wing spar or forward of the wing. Structurally, that was the best place for it. So the reality is we can execute those large windows uh, on a lineage. And that's why we put those concepts together, the Kyoto Airship and the Sky Ranch, uh, to show what that experience might look like. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to post, uh, as I said earlier, I'm going to post some pictures because it's, it's difficult to, to imagine um, if you haven't seen them on, on, a, on a rendering. But they are really, right. really amazing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure they are in the podcast transcript so that everyone can see them. So the, with the Coast Guard, it, it's already in service, this concept. Yeah, I'm not sure when um, it went into service or when it was delivered. But um, it was the basis for being able to execute that window. And, and, and really what happened was we had worked um, with a super yacht designer in Fort, Lauder- Fort Lauderdale, Florida, named Patrick Knowles. And that was uh, due to a relationship we had with Boat International Media. And um, Marilyn Maurer, and she had recommended uh, Patrick Knowles to work with on a concept that would be a yacht-like experience inside of a big jet. You know what it was going to be at the time. But in our brainstorming, you know, we asked the question, you know, Patrick, what, what can we do on a yacht that in aerospace, we'd all be shaking our heads saying, no way, never going to happen. And he said, well, windows, look at some of these, these super yachts, uh, like a fed ship, the fed ship Savannah, beautiful boat, massive. It has what they call a Nemo room on either side of the pool or on the left-hand side of the boat. And you can see into the pool in the middle of the boat, and you can see under the water to the left side of the boat. The window goes below the water line and above the water line. I'm like, holy smoke. Yeah, so amazing experience. So he's like, well, let's come up with a hypothetical customer. And in that brainstorming, we said, well, what about our good old Japanese friends? We haven't, we haven't talked about um, them in a long time as far as a market. You know, they're very uh, deliberate, humble, modest, educated people that sometimes don't get a lot of attention. Let's, let's come up with a theme, a hypothetical theme based off of a Japanese customer who wants to be able to sit on the floor and have dinner, but still be able to have an airplane and take off TTNL, take off landing seats and everything else needed for flight, of course. But if you do that inside of an airplane, sit on the floor to give that what would be yacht-like experience, have my home and my boat, that home experience in the airplane means you're sitting in a bathtub because the windows are up high. So we sketched windows dropping to the floor and we're like, okay, let's go see if we can do this. The renderings look beautiful and it was an instant hit to the point my boss at the time, Marco Tulio, the CEO of Ember Executive Jets, looked at it and said, Jay, um, we better be able to make this if we publish this. <laughs> I'm like, oh, we can make it. He's like, you need to go to Brazil and meet with our, our guys. So I did. I went down and spent about a week and a half with the engineering team in Brazil in San Jose dos Campos. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, we pulled up the engineering and the drawings for that Coast Guard airplane. And I'm like, that's it. Will that work on a lineage? And being the DNA of our top-down technology from our aircraft, fuselages to whatever size they're going to be, have so many similarities, it worked. And they said, yeah, we can actually do this. If a customer wants it and are willing to pay for it, we'll do it. And I came back with my get out of jail free letter from engineering saying we can do this. We published the concept and uh, that's 
how serendipitous and wonderful and neat of an experience that was. So that's the Kyoto. Yep, the Kyoto. The Kyoto Thousand Year City. It's a it's a Japanese theme interior. Then there's the Manhattan, which is uh, is a New York 1930s um, mm -hmm. 1930s style. Then you have also the Western, that is like a, basically it's like a Western movie. That they, I remember they had all even this uh, leather leather saddles all over the place and mm -hmm. uh, all this uh, yeah looked very very authentic. And then you had Art Deco as well, it was also 1920s. Oh, that was in Manhattan. There, yep, Manhattan and, and Hollywood. Uh, Hollywood, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yep. So, yeah, quite, yeah, the, quite, yeah. Those, those, those concepts in particular take on a very unique uh, experience. It's, it's um, what Eddie Sato from, well, he's the ex senior vice president of Imagineering. Uh, Eddie Sato, now Sato Studios. Uh, worked with us on those, um, and it was about experiential design. And he's he's the master of explaining experiential design because of obviously his work uh, with Disney, and especially that of uh, Disney Europe uh, in Paris, Paris Euro Disney. Mm -hmm. That was uh, his major project, and so he really understood, you know, this idea of theming an interior to be an experience, not just a commodity or a necessity. So back in two thousand and Boy, it would be 2012, the latter part of 2012, beginning of 2013. Uh, he called me up and said, uh, we've been friends for a long time. And he said, Jay, now that you're at Embraer, um, I've been asked by Rob Report to create the ultimate gift for the ultimate gift guide 2013, December edition. So they go through this big list of what you must have. And the ultimate gift being the top, the best gift, they asked Eddie to design an airplane. And so Eddie called me up and said, can we do a lineage? Yeah. And I said, oh, we will do a lineage. <laughs> so <laughs> at that point, Eddie, uh, in about an eight-week time frame, two months, sketched his hands off and came up with a Sky Yacht, the Sky Yacht 1. And that Sky Yacht design, uh, we rendered out uh, with our team in Melbourne, Florida. Uh, we have a rendering uh, VR digital animation team. So. We built out those images and created what was the Sky Yacht. And it got a tremendous amount of attention. And it was Eddie's opportunity to start looking at aerospace design and my opportunity to get Embraer a brand attention-grabbing theme, something so unique. Like, mm -hmm. I, I want my airplane to smell like pipe tobacco, like a 1930s mahogany sailing yacht but it's got auto land features and it's the latest technology for flying heads up display and six foot four quarterback that runs a four, four forty, you know, in the NFL. It's like, he shouldn't be that fast because he's too big. Mm -hmm. And that's a, that's a phenom, right? That's our small airplane. But the definition of a phenom is something that just amazes us. And that's what the lineage was. It meets the, the, the definition as well. So here we were able to gain a lot of attention for an aircraft that would be able to be customized. Many thought the lineage was only a type certified um, Embraer offering with a fixed interior. But in reality, it was a green aircraft, which means it could be bought naked without an interior and customized in a completion center like a BBJ or an ACJ. Yeah. Well, many of the, the world didn't know that. So that theme was exactly for that. And that was what led to a long relationship of these experiential type designs, including the Sky Ranch, mm -hmm. big window that we have, proprietary. But uh, it was like, how do we tell the story of J.R. Fracking and Texas meets Brazilian rancher and they come together and create this Western Hermes French saddlery, you know, theme. Oh, the Sky Ranch. That's perfect. Let's build that out. But let's change the floor plan a bit. Let's make your entry the greeting space of your this this first room in the aircraft after the vestibule or the entry would be the office with the big window, this room of intimidation where you get to meet with clients and people, but they never pass the galley, which is right behind that mm -hmm. office space with the big window. And after the galley, there's four more cabin zones of airplane of private home space where nobody gets to see it but the owner, but he's got an office space up front that he can take people on his airplane with and have a galley in between to separate it like a giant safe room. So that was kind of the, that theme. And then I had this, you know, I love Art Deco and there's a, 
the United States especially uh, has what I call the, the triangle of Art Deco, Manhattan, Hollywood, and Miami. So I'm like, well, what, what, how about the lineage could also be a great charter airplane. So imagine the charter aircraft that the royal family has to have a selfie in or the Kardashians have to have a selfie in. I mean, flying on a normal airplane with khaki, tan interior is not good enough anymore. We must be on the Hollywood. Oh, why? Because it celebrates the silver screens. It celebrates the 1930s and Art Deco design. And what about the Manhattan, the Chrysler building, you know, the, the Empire State Building, the, the reliefs and mosaics of metal and stone that greet you as you walk in, showing the Empire State conquering the world of commerce and leading, you know, it's those stories that mean something that could be put throughout these interiors. So we executed on the Hollywood and Manhattan airship, uh, took a lot of inspiration from Jean-Michel Frank and many of the Art Deco designers that worked on the Normandy cruise ship. Mm-hmm. was part of the um, the, in, uh, the influence for some of that, not just the uh, cities in the United States, but really the fantastic that went into the Normandy cruise ship and those incredible designers that made it happen. So uh, Eddie helped us with that. We hired him. Eddie's an expert in Art Deco design. So those conceptual aircraft were you know, a fantastic opportunity for a relationship that works, and it has worked for a long time. So we I had a lot of fun with that. So all of that was, again, for brand and marketing. When, when a company is trying to get attention and become a household name and therefore be desired, it has to, it has to get that attention somehow. And waiting for the years of building the field of dreams can sometimes be too long. You need attention now. And that's what these conceptual designs have done for us and have helped us build our brand visibility around the globe. Yeah, and sales. Yeah, it's certainly a great story. And are you responsible as well for design of the outside of the aircraft, like liveries and all that? Because I remember um, yes. the, Manhattan, mm-hmm. the Manhattan design that you mentioned it also had a special livery. It came with a very unique livery outside, kind of dazzling um, sort of, um, mm-hmm. I don't know how to describe it. It looked like a sort of 1940s warship with a of <laughs> <laughs> lines in, in different scales of gray was really, really unique thing as well. Um, well, yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that. Yes, we do. To answer your first question, we are responsible for the livery uh-huh. and nomenclature, uh, paint scheme designs, the, the Embraer executive jet corporate paint scheme mm-hmm. was you know, part of our mission as well. But the paint scheme in particular for the Manhattan airship was a twofold inspiration. I've always loved those incredible 1920s and third or the you know the, the bullet trains the big mm-hmm. you know sleek art deco contemporary looking um diesel hybrid trains yeah. from i mean and they always had horizontal lines running down the side mm-hmm. and they had that you know pinstripe suit kind of a look so i was like wait yeah. turn the train vertical and what do you get you get a new york 1940s and 30s pinstripe suit and it's like, okay, that's Art, Art Deco City. And this, this airplane needs a tuxedo paint scheme. And it needs to feel like it's going fast, standing still. So dark navy blue, flag blue paint with silver pinstripes on it was, was it. And it worked beautifully. Uh, it, it was striking. So that's where the inspiration for the paint scheme came from to match with what the story was we're trying to tell in the interior as well. And it looks like you have looked again at that time, at that era, to come up with a latest design, right? Embraer Pulse, um, which is a, a conceptual uh, aircraft for personal mobility, sort of, I don't know, it's mm-hmm. un- unmanned, right? It's um, sort of an air, air taxi, just a quote unquote. <laughs> Not sure if it's the right word to describe it. And it's inspired as well in, in uh, some car concepts of the 1930s, that right? Mm-hmm. 1920, sorry. Can you tell us about this concept, the Embraer Pulse, and what's the philosophy, the idea behind it? Sure. Um, the first thing is, is we do make a deliberate effort to look into history and look back and find those moments of those earthquake moments, those tremors that changed a system or an industry. Uh, like the 1960s muscle car era in the United States. The 1950s consumer products where vacuum cleaners look like bullet trains. 
and you know 1960s as well for fashion design the the kennedys jacqueline onassis and and the fashions that you know so there's there's moments like the 1930s that changed an industry and in that particular case the 1930s were special because in 1938 um, harley earl who worked for general motors came up with the buick wide job concept car and so going back to concepts what's the purpose to convince everybody there needs to be a change conceptually what we have now you know, re in reality what we have now is not good enough we're going to move forward and what does that direction look like where's that flagpole that we're now going to aim for and that was a buick wide job concept vehicle and in 1938 it was so different compared to the vehicles the contemporary vehicles in, in the 30s duesenbergs and packards and and Rolls Royces. These were all very long, square, boxy vehicles with cat or continental packages with tires on the side, spare tire wrapped in chrome, and they're you know, beautiful, beautiful cars. But it was not the Buick Wide Job. The Buick Wide Job basically became what the cars looked like in the 1950s and 40s. It inspired. It was the first concept car. 1939. Let's jump across the pond to Europe, in Germany. Ferdinand Porsche came up with the Type 64. The Type 64 was absolutely different in every way imaginable, but inspired by aerospace. And they even bragged at the time about having over 2,000 rivets on the body because this is based off of aerospace technology. It, you know, obviously the Beetle was first, but the Beetle was not this Type 64. The Type 64 went on a road trip, um, a road race. Uh, through Europe and then became the inspiration for the 356. Mm -hmm. So those moments changed things. In aerospace, taking a lesson from that, how can we create a concept vehicle that creates so much attention and buzz and imagination that we want to get there, that we deliberately make product plans to evolve for that purpose, to target and meet that location in time in the future. So again, in aerospace, we're very deliberate. We're very safe. We take the time to certify and build. The aerodynamicists are purposeful. Of course, they want to build beautiful, sleek airplanes, and we get that more and more. But the idea of creating a conceptual aircraft from the inside out that would create a whole new experience for the future uh, really hasn't been done much at all. Mm -hmm. So being that this was our 50th anniversary this year for Embraer, um, we had the idea of actually it was about three years ago. We've been planning for this moment. Let's um, let's come up with a way to celebrate the next 50 years during our 50 year celebration, reflecting on our past achievements. So not just celebrating what's been done, but look at man, since we did this, keep an eye on us because we're going to do this and just create this perception, what we know internally as reality, but into the world and marketplace, a perception of lean, mean, strong. We're going to get there because we're fast, smart, and the world wants it. So the Pulse concept was that. It was, okay, what's the future of mobility going to be? Today, we hear a lot of dialogue and conversation about uh, personal aircraft ownership diminishing which makes me very sad think of that, but uh, we're entering an era of shared economy, access economy. So how do we bring the price of these things down so more people can access them, therefore access economy, shared economy. You must not own that yourself. It's not, it's not the right thing to do. You must share it with everybody, you must rent it out. So there's pressure to, to do that. Or is the reality that there's always going to be ownership? And especially now in this era of pandemic, People are worried about having other individuals in their airplanes. So the charter and the fractional and some of those things are actually maybe going the other way. People want whole ownership. So you never know what's going to happen. So the, the idea for the Pulse was to show that in the future, I can go from A to B, destination to destination, and never leave what I own, my personal space, which was the pod portion of the aircraft. And that would allow me to do what? Oh, I could go to Monaco, not fly into Nice. I'll go literally to Monaco F1 race in my coach 
well, coach with wheels. Yes, we designed a coach that would accept the pod from the flying box wing design hybrid electric aircraft, autonomous, no cockpit vehicle. So you could go from airport to land to destination and never get out of your vehicle. So that was the whole, the whole premise. Yeah. Could that be connected to train systems in the future and other things? Absolutely. So the idea was A to B, seamless connectivity without leaving your vehicle, land and air. So the, the future was that experience. Now, who's going to make it happen? Embraer. Why? Because of the top-down technology that's going to lead us there from our EV tolls with Embraer X and this Uber air taxi revolution that everybody's searching to execute and how to you know, make happen. If that technology over the next 50 years is grown, boy, look what can happen. So that was the idea. Take 2019 as a moment like 1969. Mm -hmm. Let our eVTOL be the Bondurante of 1969 and become the technology jump necessary to put us in the next 50 years to the pulse, mm -hmm. the pulse of our future. So that is the purpose for that concept. Yeah, actually, there's this sort of feeling that the aerospace industry is in the cusp of some important changes, uh, technological mm -hmm. changes, and also changes in the business models and the way that people use aircraft and fly. So yeah, I guess it's, it's kind of uh, the right time to think about radically new concepts that these new technologies would make possible eventually. Mm -hmm. So I see one of the one of the themes here also in, in your designs is actually, as you mentioned earlier, kind of the openness, this sort of um, more airy designs where you, you, you don't get the feeling of being enclosed, but more open. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, is this also in line with all these um, biomimicry approach, uh, trying to imitate nature? What can you tell us about that? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe not, it has nothing to do. No, but I've seen some people in the industry working in, along mm -hmm. these lines, making people, passengers, feeling more at, at ease in a more, um, yeah, more open environment. Yeah, biomimicry is, is key um, to everything that aerospace... I mean, the more we can simulate what's happening in creation and the planet around us, mm -hmm. and, and we reproduce it, the more efficient we become. So like a bird the structure of the bird's bone we've learned a lot from and it's inspired 3d printing of metals to have the honeycomb and, and crisscrossing shapes that might be the inside of a bird bone uh, type structure for lightweight solutions so biomimicry it's, it's the right thing to do uh the 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 uh tubicles or the features on a whale's fins and how they spiral through the water going up like a, a blue whale actually speeds it up because it creates deliberate turbulence in the water which creates air gaps cavitation creates basically air ball bearings on the fins allowing it to fly through the water faster so can we create deliberate disruption in fuselages dynamic arrow that adjust to allow faster movement more laminar flow based off of disruptive features oh a whale can do it we can do that in the air, in the air as well so there's a lot to learn and in that regard you know how do you manage solar energy and keep yourself from being bombarded by uv rays uh, there's another tale to be learned from there's an ant and i believe it's in sahara desert mm. um, this particular ant has the ability to withstand temperatures and heat that no other animal or, or insect can and it has to do with his triangular shaped hairs that are on his body that deflect almost like a stealth fighter uh, the rays and keeps it cool so how do we do that on an airplane exterior? Well, we don't, on the pulse, we didn't put triangular stealth tubes on it, but rather than go glass, because many will say, oh, it's a glass tube, that must be heavy, you can't, it's Alon. And I gained inspiration from Alon, A-L-O-N, uh, due to a company that's making transparent aluminum. And what can we do with transparent aluminum? Well, it's much more protective, and it's strong, it's lightweight, and it's a reality, which is crazy because most wouldn't know it. I think it was a Star Trek IV. Uh, Scotty came up with a calculation for transparent aluminum so they could transfer the whales back from the future to San Francisco. It was science fiction. And lo and behold, today uh, we have it. They're using it for bulletproof systems uh, in the military. And NASA is also 
investigating and studying it to be used on the space station and rockets and things like that because it's more scratch resistant and there's all the other benefits to it. It can be thinner and stronger. So try to get access to a sample of it. And they asked me if I had government clearance and we, we <laughs> I didn't. And so it's top secret stuff that they're working on now, but great for 50 years from now, that transparent aluminum can be that fuselage. It's protective. There's, there's treatment that we can do to it that's going to keep us from being burnt by the sun and the UV rays and all those things that we learn from, other, from creation and things around us can be applied to that. So rather than synthesizing the world around us and creating giant screens um, that really don't do a good enough job of telling us what's outside, let's keep it aluminum, lightweight, but make it see-through. And that way I don't need a screen to mm-hmm. tell me what's happening. I can see the real thing. And it can be a smart technology screen on the inside where it's giving me information of where I'm going on my journey. It can track my eyes and look at controls within the interior and truly be that butler with wings servant that we would like in that type of airplane. Yes, smart technology and smart approach that I guess it's also underpinning one of the latest initiatives that you launch is the, it's actually not, not flying. It's a, it's a chair. It's an office chair, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, yep. can you tell us a bit more about this? Uh, you presented it recently. And mm-hmm. It's called the Paradigma Office Chair and is inspired by a design that is present in some of the current Embraer models. So it's not um, a concept. It's something that exists mm-hmm. physically in <clears throat> the real world. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, tell us a bit more about this chair because it looks really amazing. And I was just wondering, are you planning to sell, distribute it as a, just a, as a piece of furniture separate from the planes or what's the plan? Yep. Yeah, I'm glad you asked. Thank you. The, the chair, um, is, is part of an initiative that my team is going through and that is to build revenue. Um, so EDO, Embraer Design Ops, we are now authorized as a service provider to anybody else, either in the industry or out of the industry, automotive, yachting, should somebody want industrial design or have that need, <clears throat> we can supply that as a service, like many other uh, comp, um, cons- you know, con- or, uh, consultancies might do. So take that technology and education we have from internal execution and, and proof and apply that for others to use is the idea, but also to create product. So as a design organization, are we only able to design airplanes? Uh, can we design something, a consumer product that can bring revenue in to the design organization, help us grow even further and sharpen the talent of our, of our employees to be able to use back in airplanes again? So we said, yes, let's do this. Now, what, what, what's the situation that we've seen over the decades? Furniture design often influences the aircraft. Earlier, I mentioned the Kyoto Airship how the home experience for that Japanese customer influenced the interior design. We asked the question, what if we reverse that paradigm? Therefore, paradigma, Portuguese for paradigm. Let's flip that paradigm and say the aircraft of the future, the pulse, the aircraft of the future is going to inspire furniture today. So we took the seat out of the pulse aircraft and we designed a structure and a pedestal and a feature and a track and swivel like mechanism to feel like you're inside of a private jet with its movement. Cause those in private aircraft will know I reach down to the side to pull a lever to track and swivel my seat. So that same experience you might have in an aircraft is what is in the paradigma office chair, but it's also the design, a design from the future that we can have now. So if I can't have that airplane, but I really like it, I can have a piece of it. Okay. How much? Let's make it. And the trim style of the Paradigma chair, we use the Bossa Nova uh, Ipanema so style design from our Bossa Nova uh, line of interiors from our Prater 600 and Phenom 300E. And that stitch comes as an inspiration from uh, Carl Burlmarx and the, and the uh, designs he did at, at Rio at Ipanema and Copacabana and those different beaches had different patterns. So we use that as inspiration to reinvent the so style. Um, that might be in our chairs and our contemporary airplanes today. So the Paradigma office chair 
is an office chair inspired by an aerospace company design team from an aircraft 50 years into the future for people to have today in their office or conference room. Okay. And we, we, yeah, we're prototyping it now. Uh, we intend on going live with sales by the end of the year, fourth quarter. So we're going to make this chair. And we have a lot of interest in it right now, to say the least. So we're really excited about that. Where are you going to sell it? Is it decided yet? Um, it's, well, it'll be sold globally. We want everyone to be able to have it if they would like. Where we're going to manufacture it is still up in the air. So that's currently what we're discussing now. Uh, who will manufacture it, whether we manufacture it ourselves or somebody licenses and manufactures it. But we're still in those discussions. But we actually built a design uh, mock-up and put it in the Milan Furniture Fair last year in May or April. And um, you know, so physically it is built and it was there. And that gave us our first hint as to the acceptance and what people are going to think they want to do with it. And that's why we've gone and executed it. So it's been one year so far as a physical asset in the making. And um, we have all the, the knowledge, background support saying that this will be successful and we're gonna sell it. So more to come. Hopefully by the end of July, we'll have the, the functional prototype ready and we'll go live uh, in media with it. It's a high-tech chair, right? I mean, it's mm -hmm. got all sort of features as well that control the inclination and movement, mm -hmm. tilting, all of that. So apart from... Yep. Apart from looking amazing, <laughs> it's uh, mm -hmm. actually very, um, a very sophisticated chair. And yes. The, um, yeah, sorry. Oh, no. Yes, I think you're about to ask price point. We're not sure exactly the price point yet. Um, and that will be based off of our final bill of materials and mm -hmm. uh, internal cost of building it, but also be priced accordingly to the luxury market and what comparable designs or chairs have done in the past to make sure that we're hitting the right uh, target customer. Still cheaper than buying the whole plane. Cheaper than buying the plane, but inspires you to want to have one in the future. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, a, it's, a, it's a good brand and marketing tool yeah. as well. And it, again, the more you become a household name and known by the world, the more uh, those who you know, have the resources to buy it will want it. It's just one of those things that is, um, is a reality. So. That's what we're trying to do. And as far as the technology of the chart, it has to have authenticity. So if it comes from an aerospace company, mm -hmm. the third largest aerospace company, Embraer, uh, what's different about it? Is it just comfort? And you mentioned the technology. So we have two versions. One version will have uh, cable actuation and easy to move track and swivel features that um, are less technical, but maximizes usability and reach for for customers to be able to purchase. The second version, the let's say top of the line version, is the one that has what we're currently working on and studying is, we know we can use capacitive switches on the side in the veneer. So on the back side of the veneer, on the shell underneath your seat is a capacitive touch switch that will electrically operate a release pin and allow you to slide and move around the puck basically on the base of the chair area. Uh, roughly six inches side to side, five inches, four and a half. And then when you release the switch, take your hand away, it locks into place again. So mm -hmm. something similar to an electric assist release you might have on a private jet. So again, authenticity. We need the chair to feel like I'm operating it on an airplane. The other neat piece is the maglev type technology. So posing magnets, like, like, a, like a bullet chain, train in Japan, maglev, it's frictionless. You know, nothing's touching each other because of the opposing magnets. So if this base has that type of technology, I can glide around on that base plate with a maglev type of energy and resistance. So when the pin is released, I don't feel bearings moving. I don't feel friction or anything mechanical working. It almost feels like I'm floating. So that chair is going to be the top of the line, most expensive because it, it has to be to execute it, chair. And that's, that's the fun of it. The chair works in two uh, directions, uh, mechanical, manual, release like most would expect, but also the top of the line version that can only come from an aerospace company like Embraer. Wow, sounds amazing. And yeah, so we'll be definitely keeping an eye on, <laughs> on these and other projects to, to see 
what's coming up uh, out of your factory of ideas. <laughs> and I'm sure it's going to be, there's going to be some, some more amazing designs down the line soon. So yeah. Well, thank you for saying that. Yeah, I appreciate your, your, um, your interest and your comments are held in high esteem because of your experience and your, your knowledge of this industry. So I was really looking forward to this discussion today. Thank you so much. It's been a great pleasure. And yeah, maybe, you know, when you go on releasing more concepts and ideas, we should have you again here to continue the conversation. So oh, yeah. yeah, we'd love that. We'd love that. Thank you for the exposure and attention. Yeah. In the meantime, uh, well, thank you very much. And uh, yeah, hope to uh, will coincide at some point in the future. Maybe eBay's, who knows, um, mm -hmm. when, when things are going to be back to normal. In any case, thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. You know, I, I have to say one more thing. I was reflecting yeah, sure. back on that flight that we were on together. Mm -hmm. And I, <laughs> I remember we, when we took off on that lineage, we were forced, imagine, we were forced to circle Paris before we headed into Geneva. And it was such a beautiful, clear day. And Indeed, I think yeah. even you had remarked that, yeah. You don't see it that clear that often. And you can see the wagon wheel of Paris, the Arc de Triomphe, Eiffel Tower. Yes. It was stunning. It was really stunning. And it was hard to talk about interior concepts and designs when you had such a view of a beautiful mm -hmm. city like that. So yeah, uh, thank you for remembering. <laughs> that's, that's when the, uh, that, that extra large windows that you, you came up with uh, have been really, yep. really handy on that flight. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly. a panoramic flight. Yep, anyway, exactly. Very good. So uh, good memories. Um, thank you so much. Speak to oh, you soon. Welcome. Bye. Yep, have a wonderful day. Thank you.